welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike Crimmins, how are you? October. Hey, Zach. October, Oktoberfest. Monsoons in the rearview mirror. And I, I have to say, we're doing this. We, we, we have overcome technical difficulties and uh, your computer blew up. Your three computers blew up. So we're on the phone. Hopefully, Ben can, can make you sound decently well. I'm taking it as a sign, Zach. How is this going to affect the pod? Like, are you are you doing this all? You're not looking at any you know web pages now. You've got no data in front of you. Like, presumably, this won't affect it too much. Well, I'm just going to run outside every time you ask a question and look up and look around and see what see what it looks like, and then come back in and report. Well, we'll have to do some fact checking uh, if you <laughs> actual statistics. Oh, fair enough. Fortunately, I said this last time, and I, I, I can't think of a, a, a better monsoon historian than you. So I feel like you've got all of these dates and all of the key numbers, you know, well burned into your memory. As it's October 4th right now, we're monsoon in the rearview mirror, as you said. I had one of the best storms of the season roll past our house today with a quick... <laughs> Half inch of rain in thirty minutes, like man, oh man! I mean, so wait, are you over? Because I'm, I was looking out, you know, my window, and yeah, it was raining like, you know, half an hour ago here. I'm at the university, and you know, had a nice, like, cool, cold. It was almost like a chilly temperature, and I'm like, this feels like fall. Like, sorry, and at the same time, I was like, you know, I think this is a good omen. Like, like the fall is sending the monsoon, you know, away in style. Like, or did you, are you seeing this? As, are you seeing it in the opposite way? Like, no, Zach, I like that. That's very, that's, that's poetic. I, I like that. That's I'm, it I'm over fun. the monsoon. I want, I'm, I'm glad it's over. I don't know. It's, it's kind of easing out, but not really. I mean, I was just really caught by surprise today about how much weather there was today. And, and even the last couple of days, you know, I kind of checked out, but there's been a lot of weather across the Southwest. The monsoon isn't quite letting go. I mean, again, the monsoon in all practicality is, has been over since the beginning of September. And as I, as I, as I said, it would never rain again. It Wait, continued I to come rain back to like this. crazy. So l- let's come back to this because I, the last time that we recorded was in the beginning of September and you were Punxsutawney Phil. You were, you were the monsoon like right. of, of that groundhog. Yeah, uh, I didn't see my shadow. Out, you stuck your finger out in the wind and you're like, uh, September, nope, it's over. And so let's yep. revisit that because we need to yep. recap the monsoon in its entirety. I also want to pose a question to you. Is the 2022 monsoon the sneaky, uh, the sneaky, like rank number one on, on, in, in the monsoon record? Like, is it the, is it the top of the Mount Rushmore? Like, that's the uh, question I want to pose to you. Because yeah. I think I can make a compelling argument that uh, 2022 is sits on the top there. It's it's at the peak. I'm looking forward to talking this one out. Yeah, it's sneaky. And it crept up on me. And I never thought I would have said that, uh, particularly after September, you know, July and, and August. Uh, the pace of uh, July and August was not kept in September for, for most accounts. But anyway, we'll make that argument. So just going over the, the outline here, I want to talk a little bit about how we sort of think about September in the monsoon season, because it is of a different flavor. Uh, and as you just mentioned, it's, it's sort of slow to leave. And there's different ways and different mechanisms. And it, it has its own distinct version of the monsoon that I think is worth conceptualizing. And then finally, if we have time for this, just a little bit of a nod to what the winter may look like. Uh, you know, we have a triple dip, as they're calling it, La Nina. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what that may mean for fall and, and winter here in the Southwest. And, and that'll probably serve as the backdrop of the, of the content that we discuss over the next five or six months anyway. But before getting into that, Mike, we also wrapped up the 2002, the second running of the official Southwest monsoon fantasy forecast game. And uh, I wanted to call out the people who played. So we had, but we had something on the order of 568 people register to play. So they filled out an account. And then I had, we we had something like 400 people play uh, that uh, made at least one forecast, which was fantastic and marks an increase in our user base from first version. A couple of other interesting tidbits is that Half of those people, half of the 568, the self-describe themselves, their their level of, of, of climate knowledge or weather knowledge as either novice or 
advanced beginner. And I'm super excited about this. I think we said this before, but we thought we were going to tap into uh, the sort of weather, the, the big community of weather enthusiasts here in the Southwest, the people who like have rain log that participate in that and that, you know, are actively looking at the forecast and who see weather and climate as sort of like uh, in, a, in a hobbyist light. And I'm just heartened by the fact that, you know, half of the, the, the 568 or so see themselves as novice or advanced beginners. And that's just really heartening because uh, I think we can tap into uh, a, a new audience, in other words. Yeah. So, uh, so really thanks everybody, uh, from, you know, the whole fantasy team that includes Ben, you, Mike, myself, Ray, um, Leland, Dharma, who, who do a lot of the coding. Uh, and this is, you know, a volunteer activity. So we just, we're, we're happy to do it. And, and we like that you guys play. And, and thanks to some of you who sent us emails along the way offering encouragement. Your enthusiasm really carried us through. So we appreciate it. Fantastic. All right. So the winners, and I have to caveat this because our own Ben McMahon came in second, Ben, nice freaking job. We owe you. A yeah. Beat. He's not eligible for a prize. Uh, and I'm, and I'm actually really glad you didn't win, but you were close to winning. And uh, so, so kudos to you for that, but really the, the podium, the top three were bewilder or B wilder first place. Second place was water wise and third place was a long sort of automatically generated uh, username, it looks like, that begins with VJFM. So congrats to you three. Uh, we're giving out $400, $300, $200 Amazon gift cards. Spend it as you will. Uh, and we hope that you come back next year and defend your podium. Mike, what did you finish? Do you know? I don't. I, I actually crept up the 30th. As I was paying attention, and then I was so far out of the running, I stopped paying attention. So, I and it in, kept raining. So, <laughs> I came in at number twenty-two. So uh, it doesn't. Oh, matter. you beat me! I oh, did beat you. No, it, Normally, that it does matter. It's as far as beers because that means I owe both you and both you and Ben well, beers now. <laughs> fantastic! I got to collect those. The other really fun thing about doing this, not just the fantasy monsoon forecast, but also the the podcast is we get to talk about weather and climate in a way that is enjoyable and it brings excitement. And it's not like the typical climate as villain character that is often portrayed, you know, the climate change narrative, you know, which, you know, we engage in as well, but we don't focus in on it on, on, on this podcast, but it's just, it's just uh, invigorating, I think, to, to be able to have these conversations about, you know, the, the, just the the awe of the monsoon. So just uh, that's sort of a a benefit of uh, of doing this. Speechless, huh, Mike? <laughs> there was no words I could add to this. The poetry you're spewing today. Zach. Thank you, Mike. So fantasy forecast in in the rearview mirror, along with the monsoon. So Mike, like we said in the beginning, you stepped out of your house September one. You know, put a stake in the ground, said it's over, but. That actually didn't play out. I'm trying to I'm trying to make up ground here from from my my terrible forecast. So right, technically, so it, the monsoon a, was did it a terrible stop. forecast. Was it a terrible forecast? Uh, it wasn't great in my mind. But I think if you could think about it from now, the way I'm reconstructing it is like I meant actual monsoon type circulation and precipitation. I mean, I didn't necessarily say it would rain again, except I said very specifically, it wouldn't rain again. So um, I guess, yeah. Okay, so the monsoon circulation, okay, so it did rain again. The monsoon, yes. we, we, had a, we had this remnant tropical storm K, which affected some parts of the Phoenix and maybe a little bit uh, Northwest Arizona. We had rain, but did the circulation not look like the monsoon in in in, in September, or or what what was the the sort of synoptic the regional uh, picture there? It was a pretty normal kind of progression through the monsoon. So from August into September, we started to see the overall broad scale ridge of the upper levels of the atmosphere start to basically sag south, which is which is what happens. You know, it, it builds, builds north with the sun angle, 
uh, into June, into July, and did so pretty magnificently through July and August. Started to wane a little bit as you got through the end of August. And then as we started, we recorded the podcast, the, the ridge had started to sag a little bit more. The activity started to decrease. It looked like the humidity was even starting to to sort of retreat south. So the whole overall tropical, subtropical air mass was retreating, which is the fuel for the whole monsoon. And the prospect is always then, what then happens? Do we then lose the overall monsoon air mass to the south into Mexico? You know, are we then back into the kind of the same drier westerly, southwesterly flow at the upper levels as we are in June, May and June? And then that's kind of the typical retreat. Or do we end up having something that's a little, we call it these transition type events, which are the, you have to have these troughs approaching from the West. So you can imagine in the upper levels of the atmosphere, you've got a trough uh, off the California coast and the monsoon ridge is then shoved off to the East. And that puts us in sort of broad Southwesterly, but maybe a little bit Southerly flow. And that then keeps the monsoon air mass and the edge of it over the Southwest. And it can be really dry off to the northwest, and we can still be in the soup down here. And we had that happen a couple of times, and that can also provide some dynamics, can cool off the upper levels of the atmosphere to give us better thermodynamics, can can actually organize storms and move them around. And we had that actually happen a couple of times. So we had a handful of things that were definitely possible, and even a little bit rare and unusual, especially what we saw with... K's circulation coming up and parking over Southern California. So Ben ended up getting a bunch of rain out of it. We got some rain bands out of it. It kept the moisture in play. And then more recently, we've had these closed upper lows that have just been floating around underneath a broader ridge over the continental U.S. And um, that has kept, (laughs) it's kept the moisture in play. We really haven't had any of those really vigorous cold fronts with the really dry air on the backside of them as they come through to scour out the monsoon moisture and shut us down. We've just been kind of playing around with that monsoon moisture to the south, continually sort of pulling it north and playing with it a little bit as these storm systems come through. Yeah. So I'm looking at, you know, some of the station data and September wasn't, it wasn't uneventful, but at least at the Tucson, Tucson airport, there was, you know, just a couple of days with, with, with a little bit of rain. I mean, August was clearly the sort of height of the, of the monsoon uh, in, in Tucson, at least looking at the Tucson International Airport. September wasn't, you know, it was probably below average for September, but it, it, it wasn't also, we've, we've seen in the past, like, fairly dry, uh, actually completely dry September. So it was better than last year, if I remember correctly. You know, Phoenix was buoyed, I think, in large part by um, the event that came from K. K was interesting because it, it formed off the Mexican coast early in the month, and it finally affected our weather by the 11th, 12th of the month up here in Arizona. Yeah, and K brought to Phoenix, at least to the airport, like a half an inch of of rain, which at that point sort of brought the the, the monsoon total close to average. It fell a little bit behind average in in its uh, in, in totality for the monsoon season. You know, September in in Flagstaff, just a few rain events, nothing really to write home about. And moving over to Albuquerque, one noteworthy one that dropped maybe a quarter of an inch. Moving over to Las Cruces, so southern uh, central New Mexico, you know, a little bit more ac- active, a few days of uh, of rain. But but I, I guess the point here is that you know September didn't keep pace uh, as it often doesn't with July and, and August, few events here and there. Could have been worse, I guess, but you know, nothing really to write write home about. I mean, I guess I'd argue too that the events that happened, they were kind of in little. And little clusters. There's sort of the K, the K event, which uh, walloped different parts of the state. And what happened in September, I, I thought was kind of interesting is that we ended up having heavy rain events, but they were not in the, they weren't in Tucson and Phoenix, right? And, and you're right, New Mexico really didn't get much out of, out of September, it quieted down. There was the K event. The K event gave way to another little bit of a, a trough or a low pressure event that really started to favor the far Northwest part of the state. And so it, it's like Southern Nevada and 
the far northwestern part of the state ended up having really, really heavy rain flooding again, which they saw earlier in the summer. The four corners ended up getting quite a bit of rain out of sort of post K. And then another event over a couple of days, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, was that, that kind of trough bridge transition type event we, we, we think about. So the, uh, a pretty broad, strong trough of low pressure off the California coast and the ridge was off to the east. So that was, you can think about it in your mind, kind of the gears funneling up the moisture, but that really favored more of the Four Corners region and parts of Western Arizona, which again, Western Arizona has just had a pretty crazy monsoon, which really stands out in my mind as being unusual about this year. So would you say September sort of exceeded your expectations? I mean, I guess you you would have to, given where we started this. <laughs> well, given my, like, I thought we were done and to see the interesting kinds of things, if you're going to have stuff happen in September, they're going to be of the varieties like tropical storm, like you said earlier, and these transition events, and then these weird cutoff. We've had all of them, you know, so we've had kind of every different flavor of kind of bizarre end of monsoon events that you can get. So we've had like a good potpourri of uh, monsoon season ending events. But I guess I have a question about your forecast, which I should have brought up when you actually made it, but maybe we were running out of time. Given we had experienced in July and August, pretty continual, constant, like precipital water around or like the humidity was high, in other words, you know, and like that what has was a defining characteristic. It just like there was moisture. It seems to me that it would be really hard to just flush that away quickly. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Like, what would you need? That's a good, that's a good forecast, Zach. <laughs> what would you, well, but I'm not even sure it always plays out, right? Because like, think of two years ago, uh, 2021 rather. So maybe I'm, I'm getting last year wrong. You know, we didn't have a lot of rain uh, in, in September, less so in aggregate, I think, than we did this year. But we also had high humidity levels in July and August. And did those persist? Like, was it was the did the flushing occur uh, in 2021 or was there just not as much dynamics in September to wring out the the water that was available I'm actually going back to the data for 2021 and it was actually quite similar we had a tropical event if you remember like right around September 1st of 2021 and it was really the last of the monsoony core it got really quiet for several weeks. And then right at the end of the month, we ended up having a transition event that sort of wrung out the end of the moisture uh, to the south. And then I think we, we moved into largely a drier, you know, kind of typical October period. So this, this year, we've been, I've been watching the, the Weather Service forecast discussions, and they've been kind of keeping an eye on precipitable water. So we talk about precipitable water as column integrated moisture. And just you know, day after day, we're seeing, you know, pers- climatologically, the precipitable water goes down, right, every day at, towards the end of the monsoon season as you get into fall, because the atmosphere gets cooler, so it can hold less water. And it also climatologically dries up. We've been at like, you know, 90th percentile precipitable water values, you know, right through the end of September, and we're still seeing them, you know, even right now. If it comes about these transition events, it seems to me, and this is maybe getting a little bit into how we conceptualize September. And if, if we think about like what drives the monsoon, obviously, you know, the main determinant is, is, is moisture around. Obviously, if we don't have any, forget about it. We can talk about reasons why we don't have it. You know, largely it's related to the position of the high, the high pressure, the four corners high. Um, but when we do have it, the sort of driving forces become about what generates atmospheric instability? How do you get that moisture that is at the surface or near surface to rise, right? And we can do that through obviously solar heating, heating of the land surface drives buoyancy, um, but we can also do it when you have these sort of mid to upper level features that help create that instability, such things as like easterly waves mig- migrating through or like uh, mesoscale convective vortices or, or, or systems, which is just base, basically a, a grouping of, of thunderstorms that then sort of organize and, and create their own dynamics associated uh, with them. You know, the big version of that is, is a hurricane. Hurricanes are these 
mesoscale convective uh, uh, systems, but they can happen at a much uh, at a smaller scale too in thunderstorms, and they happen here in um, during the monsoon season. So you get these these mid to upper upper level features that help drive that atmospheric instability, right? And mm-hmm. those things are sort of like the the mid to upper level. So you get the the the, the sun heating, which is which is obviously a driver of July and 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 August. And you get these mid and upper level features that are sort of wafting in more from the east uh, during this time of year, just given the, the the monsoon circulation. But when you go to September, the sort of dynamics of that switch. So we're in a period where there's sort of waning solar insulation, right? So that the surface heating is just sort of marching down a little bit as we head into winter. The mid to upper level features are now largely, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they're coming in from the westerlies in these transition events. So we've had a switch in the sort of mechanisms that may create, may, cre- may drive rainfall when, when moisture is present. So correct me if I've said anything wrong there, Mike, if you want to add to any of that, uh, and, then I'll, and then I'll finish this up. No, no, you're spot on. The easiest, <laughs> this is all like super obvious, which is what I'm really good at. You need more higher level moisture there is, especially at the lower levels. And we think about column integrated precipitable water, the the easier it is to get it to rain. (laughs) And you can overcome a lot of poor thermodynamics with just increasing the levels of moisture. In the transition zone, moisture is starting to wane, right? It's starting to sag south. But what it can be overcome is that you can improve the upper level thermodynamics by cooling off the atmosphere and increasing that stability. And even if you've got other things going on, like divergent or difluent flow aloft, you know, which is the air sort of spreading apart, it can actually, it can support sort of large scale ascent, which can also improve the ability of storms to form, can overcome poor thermodynamics and poor amounts of moisture and shear too. So speed shear can also help storms organize and move around and those kinds of things. So then, so then you can get into just what we saw this morning here in Tucson, really pretty impressive, vigorous thunderstorms, lots of lightning, heavy rainfall rates. And um, the dew point was only, was in the mid fifties, right? So if, if the low to mid fifties in July with that kind of flow pattern is really marginal and, you know, wouldn't be as conducive to um, what we saw today. Like what would create sort of a, a vigorous September is really the number of these transition events. And maybe we can say a little bit about what those transition events are. And, and these transition events, Mike, are, it's basically you, you have these upper level, mid to upper level instabilities that are, that are being ferried in by the westerlies now. So, so as the sort of sun angle is decreasing, as we're moving in the winter, the westerlies are sagging south again. And we can be during these transition events, under the influence of westerly flow, which you have these loops in the jet stream that may sort of move from the Pacific Northwest uh, or thereabouts down into the into the Southwest, and and they bring this these these troughs with them, which create that mid to upper level in- instability, and that's like a tr- transition event. And and so, what then would 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 create sort of a a September that has a lot of rainfall is a large number of these or a high number of these transition events. Right. But then this is where I'm, I sort of get a little bit stuck in my thinking because those events themselves, don't they also sort of scour away the moisture in the Southwest? So, so they're both, if there's moisture around from the monsoon, they can help, you know, create the precipitation event. But then they're also sort of flushing out that moisture. So, you know, what's left in its wake is you know, a drier region. And then what you then need is some other event, um, maybe to the south that pushes that moisture back, back up. So there's like this tension between these transition events that can generate moisture, but also sort of flushes the region out, which then relies on some other mechanism to push that moisture back, back into the southwest. So there's a sloshing going forth in the monsoon, um, or sorry, in the southwest during September that seems to be more uh, more at play than than July and August. Oh totally. Yeah, and I like I like the idea of sloshing cuz I'm my kind of visual brain. I like to think of 
I like to think of the monsoon as a, it's an air mass shift, right? So the, the broad scale subtropical ridge in that progression uh, moving north from the spring into the summer here. And the movement of us from sort of pre-monsoon into monsoon is really, it's, we have a, a pretty pronounced shift in increase in humidity and we're in a tropical air mass at that point. So sustaining activity through the monsoon season is sort of the position of that air mass relative and modulated by the broader scale circulation patterns, right? So wanting the classic sort of four corners high to be in the right position, us to be in sort of deep easterly flow and the the easterly flow supporting Gulf surges up the the Gulf of California, which reinforces the low level moisture, you know, all that stuff sort of being in play. And so, you know, in the heart of the summer, July and August, we can, if we're hanging out in that tropical air mass, we've got the moisture and it's all the, the nuances, like you talked about earlier, the kind of inner, inner day, inner daily variation of these sort of small features. And we had a lot of that really interesting stuff going on this monsoon season, which really, I think, gave us the frequency of events uh, for this, this summer. In September, and it always by the end of August, we start to see that overall broader ridge pattern, the upper level start to sag south and break down. It's, the system is exhausting itself with all that energy. The sun angle is retreating. So then we get into just what you're talking about, right? So September, um, the whole northern hemisphere is starting to lean into fall. The jet stream is going to start to come further south, and that wave activity, depending on what else is going on. Remember, oh, the the I forgot to mention that the large trough event that we saw in California after Hurricane K and towards the middle of the month actually could be traced back to the a typhoon that got absorbed up into the jet stream. Do you remember talking about this? Got absorbed yeah, up in the jet stream. I do. That's, became that's this the- enormous. Yeah. Yep. So the yep. enormous storm of Alaska, that was actually the trough that parked off the California coast that led to our transition event um, that gave us some pretty good precip kind of in 21st, 22nd, 23rd of the month, right? So so you can look all the way to the, the West Pacific to see if that activity is going to start to kind of have that interplay. But what we know from literature and even some of the stuff that we've poked around with is that the wettest Septembers are the combination of these, the position of those approaching troughs. And if they're not super progressive, meaning they're just like clipping along and moving. If they, if they kind of get hung out and stuck and we get a tropical storm in the East Pacific, and if that can like wind up and move that deep tropical moisture up into Arizona with the upper level dynamics, you just get crazy rain. And we, we have had this in, oh, like five years ago, like Odile and Norbert. And we've had some really crazy Septembers that produced really, really heavy epic precipitation that were that 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 kind of two combo punch of approaching trough and recurving tropical storms. And that's kind of the magic magic sauce for a really good September in my mind. So let me let me just ask you to clarify. Uh, so when you say when you don't have a progressive jet stream, so you know, if people can picture there's like this wiggle in the jet stream that brings, you know, winds from, from the north down and into the into the south southwest and, and there's a there's a low to the north of that. Do you have a better way of describing what, what a progressive jet stream looks like? Okay, so what, what can sometimes happen is in your kind of in your mind's eye thinking about a jet stream. And I so growing up, I watched the weather channel in the late 80s. And if you can only imagine what the the graphics looked like in like late 80s cable television, they weren't great, right? So the jet stream is still burned in my mind. It was this like flashing blue line that progressed across the country, right? And so what can happen with the jet stream is that the jet stream is a you know high, fast moving, it's high altitude, fast moving, narrow band of, of air, right? And it's the, it's the dividing line between cooler air to the north and warm air to the south, sharp thermal gradient. And there, are, there can be waves in a moving jet stream, but the waves can sometimes get parked. Like they can become standing waves. Like if you've ever watched in a river, you know, where you see a, a, uh, in a fast moving river, there's a wave, there's water moving through the wave, but the wave itself is not moving, right? So we can have that happen with high and low pressure systems. And 
those are slow moving systems, even though the jet stream is moving quickly through it. And so those are not progressive. They're not moving very quickly, but we can also have waves in the jet stream, which become more vigorous later into fall where a low pressure system is just, you know, a trough in the a dip itself in the jet stream is moving quickly from, from West to East. Right. And those are the days where the wind are pretty strong out of the South in the morning, they shift to the Southwest by the afternoon, they're out of the West. And by the evening, they're out of the Northwest. That's a classic mid-latitude sort of cyclone progression, what we'd see in the continental U S and that that's where the whole wave is moved quickly through. And what happens in those situations is that by the time at the surface where the wind is sort of shifted around as the wave has passed, the cool, dry air on the backside of the low starts to move south, right? And we can all relate to this, right? Thinking about, especially with wintertime storms, where they can be kind of clammy and wet at the beginning, and then they become really cold and dry on the other side. You know, in September is like the the taste of fall, but it's not there yet, right? It's still sun's pretty high, so much tropical moisture around. The jet stream typically isn't super progressive quite yet. These systems can kind of get parked. And so what we saw with that that crazy, really strong low off the California coast is it it didn't actually move inland very quickly. And what it did is it actually it actually moved off to the northeast. So it didn't even move overhead. It just kind of like hung out to the west of us and then shot to the north because the subtropical ridge wasn't quite done with us. It was still strong enough to, to muscle that thing to the north of us. So do these waves, do they, do they tend to move faster in, let's say, the fall and winter than they do in the summer? Yep. It has to do with a lot of this, you know, it's to do with the thermal gradients that emerge as you get lower sun angles, right? So as you start, as you have colder air coming into closer proximity to much warmer air, you're going to have stronger thermal gradients, which will drive stronger, broad, you know, like column depth uh, temperature gradients, which will drive, drive those dynamics. And this is, this is that interesting thing. It's really still out in the literature too with, with climate changes that, you know, are the thermal gradients, you know, since the poles are warming so much quicker than the equator, do we lose the thermal gradients from north to south? And does that actually then slow down the winds and actually slow down the jet stream and cause it to be more wavy. And there's another paper out just in the last couple of weeks was, was kind of checking another box in the column of like more waves, slower, um, slower wind speeds. And so you can see it kind of playing out in this climate projection space, but we also know it just in the seasonality of how winds progress too. Fantastic. That was a great uh, weather dynamics, weather yeah, weather dynamics 101, Mike. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, there's a, a couple of things. Somebody checks this in five years. It's probably C minus work. And I don't know how well it translated to, to a podcast. This is a purely visual medium here. Yeah, no, I think that's the, the, the part that I was struggling with a minute ago that you, you filled in nicely. It's just like I can picture all of these things, you know, when I'm looking at a screen or images and it's it's a different to try to actually talk about it and write about it we had talked about this in years past and it's always something i I kind of forget about as we get into fall but it's i just think it's so interesting when west pacific typhoons become big players in downstream weather and have implications for how our monsoon either kind of hangs on or ends abruptly or does something in between and i think we had a little taste of that this year kind of in the middle. Yeah. And you could see that really cl- you could see that really clearly on some of the forecast models as that typhoon forgetting its name, drawing a blank on its name, but as it was moving North and it, yeah, Murbach. Just, yep. Murbach, yeah, it just rammed right into the, to the jet stream and it acted kind of like maybe like throwing a big rock in, in, in a river would, and it caused the, the, the stream itself to adjust yeah. downstream and, and and consequently, as you said, it it sort of a, a big loop in the jet swung south. Uh, yeah, it was like fascinating to see. And this is the cool thing I think about weather. It's like again, it's sort of like it's circular in the sense that it's something upstream is causing something downstream, but you keep taking that you know backwards. Um, okay, so anything else, Mike, that we missed that you want to say about the 2022 monsoon before? 
we sort of unpack its ranking, you know, in relation to past monsoon seasons. No, I'm, I'm curious to see what you're, what you're thinking here. Okay, Mike, then, yeah, I just want to try to make a case, and this is going to be a little bit squishy because uh, it's not an easy thing to parse out. And we, we tried to do this a little bit last month, and, and that is try to place the, the 2022 monsoon in a historical context. And fortunately for us and everybody else, like you've done a lot of the hard work and sort of looked at and, and really sort of analyzed monsoon seasons in aggregate from 19... I believe it starts in 1981 all the way to the present. And so here's my contention. I think this year, like when I look at all of those from 1981 to, to, to present, like I can't find a monsoon that would be in aggregate better than this year. And again, I, as I stated in the beginning, I'm like super surprised on this because it didn't feel like at my house, even close to what it was last year. Right. But but again, I think that the challenge of this is to try to look at it in its, uh, you know, in its spatial completeness for us, uh, which would be Arizona and for the most part, New Mexico. And we talked last uh, last month that really eastern New Mexico, we shouldn't really, really consider. And, you know, we made the case last year that, you know, 2022 is is on the Mount Rushmore. And, you know, I, I think we both agreed there. And, you know, even in the, in the, in the context of September, not being an epic September, you know, but not being, you know, dry either, that picture is largely, largely held. So, so, so from a spatial perspective, when I look at uh, 2022, like it is completely coherent as a, as a wet signal, as an above average signal, basically from the far Eastern edge of New Mexico westward to the to the border of Arizona. I mean, there might be a few pockets here and there, like around Las Cruces, for example, a little bit northeast of Gallup, you know, in the Superstition Mountains, perhaps, or right th- thereabouts outside of Phoenix, but maybe around the Grand Canyon. But these are like small pockets, like looking at like, you know, an interpolated map here, which you could quibble with if you want, but uh, it is your map. So I hope you won't. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, it's just really coherent. You know, and, and, you know, I, I also looked at, I think there was, you know, six other candidates, you know, in 1983, for example, 1984, 1990, 1999, 2013, and last year, but none of them had as coherent of a wet signal as 2022. And then when I looked at, for example, uh, the, the percentage of Arizona and New Mexico with uh, greater than 125% of average, of those, of those candidate years, 2022, 2022 had the highest percent aerial coverage. So 60, more or less 60% of Arizona and New Mexico had greater than 125% of, uh, of average. And none of the 1999 perhaps had close to half, half of the area, 2013, close to 60%, you know, but it wasn't quite as high. When I looked at it in terms of elevation, Right, like all of the elevation bands had their medians were above average. So in other years, some elevation bands, like the high elevations, were below where the lower elevations were high, and and, and vice versa. For 2022, it was sort of again, and this this goes to the to the art uh, to the character of it just being a widespread and 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 good, you know. And then looking at the frequency of of, of rainy days. Out of those other candidate years, when I looked at the percent of days with rain for 2022, there was a large area that had basically 60%, 55 to 60% of the days with, um, with, with rain, which is quite high. And that was a higher sort of aerial extent, like more area, more, more area in Arizona and New Mexico had received that level of frequency than any of the other uh, candidate years. So I think maybe, you know, the, the arguments against this year, you know, you could, you, you could, um, you could make a statement that, you know, well, it was, you know, it was, it, it was buttressed a little bit by an early start. Um, there was some rain in, in, in June and September was kind of, eh, bleh. it was, it was more or less a, a, a blah September. 
maybe you'd quibble with that characterization, Mike, but I, there, there's been other years with a much more vigorous September. So I don't know. I, I mean, in, in totality, like I hadn't found, couldn't come across a year where the spatial coherence of the monsoon rivaled that of this year. That's what I've I got. I like it, Zach. I like it. Okay. No, it's good. Okay. So, all right. So when you were saying, you said top of Mount Rushmore. So are you, are you saying, is it of the four like iconic monsoons of different styles and quality? Or are you saying in rank order, like this one just beats out everybody else? I would say in rank order. I would say in, in looking at across a, a variety of metrics, and, and, and I recognize that this is, is very sort of eyeball-y and, and not quantitative, but we could get, you know, you, you can quantify everything that I said, you know, it, it's, it's hard to boil down the monsoon to a, to, a, to a metric, right? So we've got to recognize that. Like there's characteristics of each of these, these years that I mentioned before that might beat out the other years, but in aggregate, I w- I'm trying to make a case that I don't see a year where the monsoon would have been better in aggregate than this year. And that's sneaky to me. It is sneaky. So, okay. So I would think this year would go up with a, it's definitely a couple of the other years that you talked about, including last summer as iconic but in different ways. And I, I think once we once we see the statistics, I was actually trying to crunch, you know, some of the statewide rankings, just like average precipitation. And I, I couldn't, it's not quite updated yet. And Westwood draw tracker seems to have, there's like a bug somewhere in there. So I couldn't quite get it, but I, you know, just some of the, the early totals are aerial average wise, they're going to be pretty similar and there will actually have been wetter, years in the past. And that has to do with the fact that some of the past monsoon events, and especially in the September time windows, have had very widespread, extremely heavy rain that have, you know, it's caused sort of widespread, widespread, widespread flooding. What I think about this year, it's, it's what you pointed out, is the frequency of precipitation and the extent of that frequent precipitation is it's pretty unrivaled in the last 40 years, right? Like from New Mexico to Arizona and reaching into the low deserts and looking at all the high elevation locations, just the number of rain events this season is it's kind of mind blowing, right? We, we had very few breaks in activity that were region wide. Once it got going, and remember it, it got going kind of unusually in more New Mexico, which is actually not unusual at all, but but in late June with some kind of transition events, some pretty heavy rain through the uh, Gila in New Mexico kind of ending the fire season into a pretty soupy frequent afternoon activity, very isolated in July became heavier and widespread through August. And then we moved into September, having yet a tropical storm that helped boost some precip totals across Southern parts of Arizona and then more transition activity. So just like all the different kinds of flavor. But what I think stands out to me is that um, there were very isolated heavy rain events, but there, I can't think of one that was like a very widespread big flutter we've seen in past summers and even last summer when we had the two couple day events that produced really heavy flows on some of the rivers in the Southwest. Yeah. So I tried to look at that data too from NOAA and it it hasn't been updated, only updated through August. So we didn't get September, but what you're saying is, is you think that there will be years where the statewide precip will be greater than this year. Is that what you're yes, saying? I do. So will it be? I do. Because you don't often see it done for Arizona and New Mexico. You don't often see it completed for, you know, the monsoon region. We will have to crunch that ourselves and we don't have the data and so quite that's in what, handy yet. Um, that's right. what I was doing, like eyeballing. And when you yeah, eyeball, yeah. like again, 1983, 84, 1990, 1999, 2013, 2021, 2022, those are the years in which like just a quick look at, you know, the spatial maps, like those are the years that would be candidates. 
And then when I just like filter on those seven, yeah, there are like last year, the Phoenix Tucson corridor had much higher totals. Like the, the, the anomaly is the percent of average was, was much greater in that area. But it seemed to me that if I sort of did a s- average spatial average, then it would still be 2022 would still would still uh, outpace 2021, for example. So I don't know. We'll have to do those numbers. I, I, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I guess that's what I would say. I think it's going to be real close, but I don't think I don't think this year is going to jump out ahead a whole lot. And again, I think this year was was really different. If you remember, I was kind of talking in in July when it was raining every day in these tiny little cells all over the place that weren't moving anywhere. And so, and they weren't always doing it in the same place, right? So it created this really widespread frequency, but the totals didn't stack up necessarily in one spot. It was like kind of equal. Again, it's like this was workhorse monsoon to actually, if you wanted to do really good things with like soil moisture and try to solve a drought. This is the kind of monsoon you'd want uh, as opposed to even last summer, which was, you know, crazy multi-day events and cool temperatures producing flood flows everywhere and, and running there. I mean, that was great too. It did a lot of, I think, really impressive things with soil moisture and solving some drought, short-term drought conditions. But even, even this year, I think was, was probably better just in the frequency of preset and how widespread it was and how it eventually filled in most of the region. Like last summer, it was a little, it was much more confined to the lower desert areas. And, and we produced some pretty devastating flash flooding. If we remember by the end of the season last year too. Yeah. This year we definitely have had flash flooding events. They've been some post fire ones up, especially I can think up in Flagstaff. The impacts on the metro areas has been, a, a bit more muted and it's you know it's interesting to have tucson and phoenix have their totals come in below average in this crazy monsoon as well right i mean totally possible and this is i guess the way you would do it is it just kind of missed those very specific locations through the whole season yeah so i'm i'm sensing a, a reluctance on your part to 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 place this this year in, uh, at, at the top of Mount Rushmore. But would you concede its position on Mount Rushmore? Totally. And I, and I guess I don't even like thinking about, I think of like monsoons as they're in different flavors, right? And there's going to be like really good flavors, but they're different, right? They're so different. If you just like look at the last 40 some years of maps using that prism data, very few of them, look similar, which is weird to say. They do kind of group out in certain ways. But then if you, you know, you're looking like precip totals to the end of the season, but then you go back and look at how the precip actually accumulated through the season, even ones that look the same at the end of the season, the way the precip evolved is different. So it's even hard to then like say, are those similar, even though the outcomes are at the end of the season are really similar. I'd put it on the Pantheon for sure, but I, I wouldn't say it like stands a, a little bit taller than even last year. I can appreciate that. I mean, I, I think there is a little bit of folly in, in trying to boil the monsoon down into like a, like a ranking, right? But I do think it's like an, an interesting activity to try to come up with a set of court criteria, which may allow us to sort of put them in, in sort of their, 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 their position. There's a natural yeah. tendency, at least for me, to, to want to like try to articulate, you know, try to come to some sort of meaning about the, the, the monsoon and its aggregate, right? Because as we try to do these flavors, there's so many different dimensions of them that it almost becomes a, not, I, I dare say, meaningless exercise, right? But like you can think about it in terms of like temporal periods, like, okay, like, you know, early onset or like a really vigorous um, September. You can also think of it in uh, spatial areas. So is it like high elevations or was it like Southern Arizona or what, was it shifted, you know, to, to New Mexico or the, you know, the, the, the far Northern regions. And we've had, we have all of those. In fact, in the seven years that I brought up, I mean, like the, the two aren't the same, you know, as you, as you said before, but, but I, yeah, I'm still struck by wanting to like, 
wanting to create a, a, a ranking, but, uh, but if- you want winners and losers that come on, you, you want this, you want this monsoon to win. I do want this month. Actually, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not as like emotionally connected to this monsoon. I have to be honest, like this month, like last year's yeah. monsoon, I enjoyed more than, uh, this year's monsoon, you know, I, I, again, yeah. it, it wasn't that vigorous at, at, at my house. I, I also wasn't here as, as often as I was uh, the year before. And it didn't come on the heels of like an epically like disastrous monsoon season like last year did, right? Like 2020 was, was terrible. So it was just such a, a welcome relief. And so this year, you know, we, we experienced a really awesome monsoon season last year. So I, I, I would say I wasn't as emotionally invested in this monsoon as I was last, last year. So I'm, I don't necessarily want it to be uh, number one, you know, I, I, and I still go back to 2017, <laughs> you know, with like the three, yeah, week, I know that's your favorite <laughs> with the three week period in July that like brings, you know, such a smile to my face. Yeah. I, I guess there is a natural tendency for me to want to, to want to like, do the hard intellectual work of coming up with a ranking. I mean, how cool would that be, Mike? I think we could do it. What, what would be the criteria? Let me ask you. This is the folly. You just said it was folly and I'm going to follow you down folly again. So <laughs> I, I honestly think that it, we can't do it. Like I, I think, and I, I think it would totally depend, right, on what the objective was, that what right, the objective the, criteria was, right? The objective is this, that we want to rank you know, the monsoon since 1980 or 81, whatever, you know, the, the, the data that we have that, that begins, like we want to rank them like from, yeah. from, from good to, to bad. Right. And we've got to define what that good is. So, so, so clearly like a good, and that ranking has to be in conversation with the different nuances of the monsoon. So obviously a spatial and a temporal component, maybe there's an element of like people involved. Like, so it's like, one of the criteria has to be, uh, you know, above average in the places where people live, right? Uh, or maybe, maybe there's another criteria about, well, was the monsoon boosted by like a really vigorous event, like a tropical storm, and do and 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 how do we account for that? So, I guess to me, like criteria would involve like the spatial extent and its intensity, so some combination of those two things, right? Like so, so there is a combination of both spatial. Uh, extent and magnitude. Well, that's kind of where I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that that paper that I keep promising you that I'm working on that's languishing in the background, I got as far, <laughs> this is actually why it's languishing. I got as far as, you know, we came up with some methodology to, to do some of this objective classification. And I, <laughs> I ended up finding that there isn't this sort of nice, like diminishing rank order but that you end up having a handful of events that are not that different than the ones that you've named off that are really similar in some ways and really different in other ways. And they're all like impactful monsoons. So it, it ends up that even if you sort of mix up and you continue to like turn out a bunch of criteria, all you end up doing is getting smaller and smaller groups. And then you end up having like 32 flavors instead of 10 flavors instead of five. And when you get to like five flavors, you've diminished the number and the types of rankings down to things that are like totals. And then you lose all of the nuance, like, well, how did you get to that total and those kinds of things? So again, I finding it really fascinating, especially when we try to talk about the Southwest monsoon as a, as a whole region is that there are some defining characteristics for sure through the season and, and at the end of the season, but they're really different in how they evolve and, and the impacts that they create and, you know, just all of these, these things that we, we uh, play with every summer. All right. So just for the record though, Noah does this, right. We were, we were referencing it before. It's like they, they come up with statewide precipitation ranks or division uh, climate division or like County level. Yeah. Right? And yeah. they're just, and they're just simply like averaging, it's, right. Like, like the, the aerial average precipitation. Yep. I mean, that is like, can we improve upon that? I don't, I, I guess you're saying. You could totally improve on it. Yeah. Well, I think that the improvement is like, that's the simple classification, but it doesn't communicate anything about the season. And as you try to then start to parse out and look for the defining characteristics of the season, you find, and at least this has been my experience so far, is that those defining characteristics create more and more piles of different flavors of seasons. It, okay. 
And that's kind of in the middle to the top range. The bad seasons are pretty simple. It just doesn't rain <laughs> anywhere, right? There's, there's not too many pathways to it being regionally dry, right? There could be locally heavy events that are impactful, but overall, they average out and wash out the end of the season as being below average. But once you kind of get to the middle, you know, the, the top third of events, say, it's really interesting, really different seasons that have different combinations of when the precip showed up, what created it, where did it fall, how frequent was it, was it one large event versus, you know, a few of them. You know, in, in 43 years is what we have to work with right now with this particular data set. We could extend it out a little bit further. We little, lose a little bit of that nuance. But yeah, I, it's, I'm, I still think I it's worth that, us I, I, continuing I, to try to puzzle this through. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I, I mean, I find that no, no. really interesting. I mean, it could be it, just thinking about it in terms of sort of some sort of qualitative like, like description of like the monsoon. So it's like, you know, wet all over or like Arizona wet. New Mexico dry. And then there's a number of years that sort of fall within in, in these sort of groups, right? And then there's some sort of like narration of the character that, what am I trying to say? Like, I, I, I guess I can, I can see there being, instead of like a hierarchy, there's a set of narratives, monsoon narratives that, that, that years generally fall into. And those narratives are um relate to a set of criteria more or less right and so that's where i stopped on the paper you're ready to go um but if i heard you correctly what is the sticking point is it's really that there's just a number of these flavors by number i mean there's a large variety of these flavors correct yeah they're they're you know i think we want to have the 10 i think as human beings, especially when the classification, we want to have sort of simple, discrete descriptors. And we, and we do that with like aerial average precip at the end of the season. I want four. I want four narratives. I know you do. I know you want four because Rushmore has four <laughs> presidents on it. That's why you're like stuck, man. And this is what this is uh, what's fun about the monsoon. All right, Mike, this was fun. You know, it's sure a heck of a lot better than you know, a dry year. I, I enjoyed this summer. Um, it was a little more frustrating to me because it didn't, uh, we ended up getting a lot of rain, but it was kind of like all that anticipation we talked about it through July, August and September were really interesting, beautiful clouds. I think that the landscapes have responded really well to this, this rain this year, which I think is going to be really helpful for, for short-term drought conditions. But, you know, it, having two, two pretty good monsoon seasons in a row. Now, you know, I'm becoming like pessimistic about next summer already. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a point that I had written down yeah. that I wanted to cover. Like going through this exercise made me realize that there's boy, there's a lot of like stinkers out there and like, uh, Oh, there's a lot of stinkers, man. It's easy. It's easy to get into a stinker. Yeah. And I'm worried like you and I are going to have to have to lean on each other next summer. I'm worried. Yeah. I mean, just by, you know, by randomness, like I, I just, it, boy, if we had another year of like a vigorous monsoon, it would be pretty, pretty unprecedented. And again, like looking back in, you know, over the last 40 years, like, you know, 2021 and 2022, like back to back, it's like fairly unprecedented. Like the quality of the two monsoon seasons back to back is, is fairly unprecedented. So weak in the research, but is it La Nina? Is that what's been going on here? And does a triple dip La Nina actually give us a little bit of hope that we could do a third third year in a row. All right. So we're running late. We were going to do a little bit of a nod to the winner and let's just do that for like a couple minutes and then, you know, well, we could just leave it at that. <laughs> you know, we're in a La Nina. Uh, it's forecasted to continue third year in a row. It's not unprecedented. This has happened. Uh, I believe two other times where we've had the quote unquote triple dip, you know, it's largely going to be a weak La Nina. La Nina's tend to, you know, increase our chances of, of dry conditions. I looked at, you know, the North, the North American multi-model ensemble, every single one of those models, you know, has a, a nice dry anomaly over, over the Southwest. So they're certainly picking up on, on that tendency, you know, and, you know, we, what Mike, two back-to-back dry winners uh, in a row. So, and this matters obviously for 
it's, it's more yeah. consequential for our landscape than, you know, a vigorous mon- monsoon is. So we think about water, we think about, you know, the, the next fire season, you know, we'll cross our fingers, but, uh, you know, if you were a betting, a betting person, you, you would probably place a high amount of money on, uh, on dry this winter. That's the lean anyways, right now, you know how good my forecasts are. So maybe I've, I've blessed us with a wet winter just by you saying. You stepped out of your house on, for the first time all, all month on October one and stuck your finger in the air. What, what did you say about the winter? What's your Punxsutawney uh, mic moment? I'm leaning dry. How about? How I about, mean, it just it rained half an inch at our house today, so it's hard <laughs> to actually or to do that. Well, this this would go into the to the winter statistics, wouldn't it? It does, yeah. Actually, yes. Can we just lump this into the monsoon? I mean, you made the you made the comment before that it was it was still like recycling monsoon moisture. I mean, does the monsoon really end in? Nah, we won't get into that conversation. <laughs> oh, start it all over again, Zach. Jeez. All right, Mike. Well, fantastic. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Appreciate all your effort. And uh, Ben, thanks a bunch for making us sound decent. Not great. Yes, good luck, Ben. (laughs) Recorded on my phone. Don't you think there's going to be somebody, though, in in the not-too-distant future who's going to go back over all these and go, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not right. Wait, what did he say? That's not right. Can our retort be, it's free? (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Gilly Face.